Hi, this is Leadership and Lattes. I'm Crystal Roberts, and I'm here virtually with my co-host, Dr. Danielle Lord and Trisha Ryan. We're happy that you've joined us today. Today, we're going to be talking about leader as coach. Most of us are familiar with executive coaching or leadership coaching, but today we're going to be talking about leaders as coaches. As leaders attempt to grapple with the world of ever-increasing change, uncertainty, volatility, and ambiguity, and boy, have we not been through that this last year, they can't be expected to know the answer to every question, and they need to rely on their staff, who are often closer to the work and customers, to solve complex problems and capitalize on opportunities. The role of leaders has changed from teaching their staff to replicate tried and true ways to solve problems based on formulas from the past and relying on command and control tactics to helping staff discover the right solutions for the future through a more strategic process called leadership coaching. We are going to unpack this competency today and hope you gain some new insights through listening to this episode that you can apply to your leadership. But before we do this, I wanna check in with my co-hosts, Trisha and Danielle. <laughs> How are you doing? And how was your weekend? <laughs> hi, Crystal. Hi. Uh, hi, Trisha. It was um, uh, from on my end, it was one of those weekends where it's like we had this big, huge laundry list of things to do. And it seems like every time we started to make an attempt to put a check mark in the box, we took a hard left turn. So it <laughs> felt like everything kind of it was like, okay, let's uh, stop and regroup and figure out what we're going to do next because nothing seemed to kind of go as planned. So, uh, but it was good. It was a good weekend. It was all fine. And, and here we are uh, together. So uh, yeah, but anyway, just, yeah, one of those kind of crazy weekends. So <laughs> how about you, Trisha? I loved this weekend. We had enough sun that it didn't feel like winter anymore. Yeah, and yeah. gosh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I had to get out. And I came, I, I went out on Friday um, and I heard that on my phone that my ring doorbell had, had set off. And I looked at it as I was sitting in somebody's office. And I noticed that it was somebody who looked familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So I thought, I'm, I'm just gonna let it go. I got home and the people who do my yard, who work on my yard came and put huge fences around my apple trees so that they would all grow big and, oh. you know, and spread yeah. out and, and yeah. And I, I was just so grateful. I didn't ask them to do it. They just did it. And um, that's, that is always such a lovely surprise. And it was sunny and I went out and I, gave it a little bit of water, even though it's probably going to rain, but I don't care because it just felt so good to have, to have, you know, time outside and it was a little chilly, but certainly worth it. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely feeling a lot more springy. So definitely a lot more springy. Yeah. yeah. I also had a weekend of hope. Um, yes. Well, actually last week, my parents met past that milestone of being fully vaccinated. So um, it had been a year since I've been able to um, hug them. So I, they came over and uh, we still had our masks on to be safe, but um, they came into the house, which they hadn't been in for a year. And we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and had hugs. And it just felt so um, not totally normal yet, but just so hopeful that things are really 
starting to get better. And while I know it'll be a while before I get my vaccine, it still was really nice to be able to actually interact with them and um, in person in 3D. <laughs> That's so. so wonderful. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And you know, there I'm hearing more and more that it's going to happen sooner than later. So, you know, have hope. Yes. Yep, for sure. I'll take any any baby steps forward. <laughs> yeah. So it is, as you guys were saying, it's feeling like spring. And while it's still a tiny bit chilly, um, I, today I have an iced, uh, an iced tea. So um, <laughs> I'm grabbing my iced tea. So grab, grab your drink and uh, your beverage and let's talk about leadership. So to get us started today, I wanted to start with a couple of definitions. According to the International Coaching Federation, uh, coaching is described as the process of partnering with clients in a thought-provoking thought inquiry-based process. The client chooses the focus of the conversation and benefits from the coach employing coaching competencies in a confidential relationship within a formal coaching agreement to help the client move forward with their most important self-selected goals. Uh, this results, um, or this is often provided by an external consultant, though can be an internal, and is uh, also usually time-bound. So usually uh, the consultant is coming into the organization for, uh, or working with an individual, um, it can be outside an organization as well, but it's a temporary situation. Leader as coach, according to a 2019 Harvard Business Review article by Hermania Ivara and Ann Scowler, is ongoing, they describe it as ongoing and executed within the organization. And maybe I should back up for just a second. Sometimes, um, and it's of course in the organization we have, sometimes that even, um, I call it coaching with a capital C is done internally. So sometimes we have organizational development or leadership mm -hmm. development yeah. people, and sometimes even business partners <clears throat> that um, have gone through a process of certification um, to be uh, a consultant within the organization. But again, it's usually pretty time bound and there's a very clear contract. This, what we're talking about today, although we will contrast it and talk a little bit about coaching with the capital C is leader as coach. So as I was saying, um, in that Harvard Business Review article, they, they look at it as ongoing and executed within the organization. It's work that all managers should engage in with all their people all the time in ways that help define the organization's culture and advances its mission. An effective manager's coach asks questions instead of providing answers, supports employees instead of judging them, and facilitates their development instead of dictating what has to be done. They go on to say, it is the kind of coaching that creates a learning organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So with that said, Trisha, I'm putting you in the hot seat first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm asking you the first question. So why do you think that it's important for leaders to take a coaching approach? And how have you seen this work in, in the work that you do in the organization? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. I think it's, it is so critical that we teach leaders how to coach mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the business outcomes are so different when they coach as opposed to when they 
do this, you know, command and control kind of, of uh, you know, putting their thumb on, on the head of every worker. Um, the micromanaging just doesn't seem to work. And, and I find it interesting that leaders will shake their heads and say, I just don't get it. I don't understand why I'm not getting the results I'm looking for. I told them what I want them to do. I told, I, I followed everything they've done. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, people are so disengaged because they're not being, they're not being challenged to show their best work. Um, you know, I've, I've used this term, you guys have probably heard it ad nauseum, but I'm going to say it from here to eternity, which is people come to work someplace because they like the work they do. Yes. So I love organizational development. So I have always sought out opportunities that would enable me to practice my passion. And that's what most people do. They, you know, they don't go looking for a job saying, well, I've never done that before. That could be fun and not know what they're talking about. You know, they're number one, they probably never get past the interview process, but once they're in, they want to be able to practice what they love doing. Yeah. So when a yeah. leader is not a coach, but rather a, you know, a command and control kind of leader for somebody who's not, you know, who's used to a little more autonomy or used to the ability to practice what they, they love, it puts a kibosh on what they, you know, really kind of stops them in their tracks when it comes to getting to do their job. They'll do just what the leader tells them to do. And so I think it's so important. I've, I have, um, interestingly, I have one client internally that is, is a fairly good coach and uses good coaching practice, lots of questions, right? And not a lot of telling where I think that could be more effective is if there was some dialogue that went with the answers that came with those questions. <laughs> and sometimes that's where a leader as coach is harder for some people to grasp because they're not quite sure, okay, I've asked all the questions. So why am I not getting what I want? You know, and it's, there's a whole dialogue that goes with that. And this article really does kind of map that out a little bit. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just digging a little bit further on that, Trisha, was there anything in that article that you were thinking, um, and we're referring to the one I opened with, with the Harvard Business Review um, 2019 article by, called The Leader is Coach <laughs> by um, Hermenia Ibarra and Ann um, Schaller. When you think about the... Um, sort of what's, what's effective, um, what, what, what sort of jumped out at you? There were actually several little nuggets, I think, that came out of that article. And one of the things that I thought was interesting uh, was the styles of coaching when they were showing a, a table or a grid that um, really maps out, you know, basically uh, pushing and pulling. <laughs> you know, if you will, in terms mm -hmm. of what the leader and the, and the uh, participant have to do. But at the end of the day, it really talked about situational coaching <laughs> or situational, you know, um, leadership, if you will, is yeah. <laughs> a lot more effective than, than um, a directive or a laissez-faire, you know, we've seen these models before. The other one is the GROW model. It's very basic. It's foundational. It's been around forever, right? It seems like it anyway. And yeah, the growth model is, it is foundational. It may be fairly basic, 
that it doesn't get old. I mean, it, it withstands the test of time for a lot of reasons. It's pretty simple. And if people can learn to use it effectively, it can make a huge difference in engaging employees to do, um, to do what they love to do, but to bring it back towards better outcomes, you know, or most effective outcomes. It, it's uh, much more engaging for people who are the recipients of that kind of leadership. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Danielle, um, <laughs> and so Trisha, you sort of um, I got, did got me. No, no, you got me started on thinking about, and it's one of the things that I was thinking is that there's a lot of synergy around this leader as coach and situational leadership. Yeah. Situational leadership yeah. has been around for uh, a, a long time. 55 so, years, yeah. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 50, 53 <laughs> Long years. Long time. Yeah, so it, build, it builds on it. Mm -hmm. But um, Danielle, I was thinking from your perspective, um, where do you see there's similarities and are there any differences between the sit situational le leadership and maybe even talk a little bit about what that is for those people that aren't familiar with situational leadership um, and how that is um, connected to leader as coach or how it compares to that. <clears throat> Yeah, well, Trisha is, is far more astute at the situational leadership model than I am. Uh, I'm a fan, and I have used it and, and taught to it, certainly. But <clears throat> sorry, I don't know. I've got a little cough that is um, going on, so hopefully it's not too disruptive for our listeners. But, you know, situational leadership is really about how we approach something um, based on an individual's willingness and ability to accomplish the, the task at hand. And so just because you have someone who is a high performer in a one particular area, we can't always assume that they're going to be a high performer, particularly when it's a new task that's coming to them. Um, and so that that coaching is so imperative. And, and again, recognizing where people are at through all these things that we've talked about for the last few months is, is, um, is their body language changed? Um, you know, are they, are they approaching this in a more apprehensive format? And you cannot, as a leader, pick up on those things if you don't have, oh God, that R word again, a solid relationship with someone. It's just not going to happen. And so it's very easy to move away from that situational approach and just um, tackle everything like it's the same old thing, right? It's it's same day, uh, same same event, same situation, same person, and you know you just kind of go about it in this rote manner. Um, so I, I think it's very uh, very well patterned and and connected to situational leadership for for sure. But the thing that jumped out at me <clears throat> when I when I read the article that you sent, Crystal, was it it made me remember uh, a, an article that we read in when I was doing my doctoral coursework, and it was written by a professor named by the name of Fred Luthens. And he had, it was done in 1988. And so uh, this article has stood the test of time. So we call that a real seminal piece. But we've been fighting this battle for a long, long time. You know, this is not new stuff that we've been trying to get leaders to coach. I think we just put a different name around it <laughs> instead of saying, make sure you're developing your people. Now we talk about it in terms of leader as coach. But 
you know, his, his piece that is, his, was so powerful is he looked at the differences between what he termed effective versus successful managers. And the effective managers, of course, were the leaders, the managers who were coaching and developing and helping people move from that next level of individual contributor to either the next role, whether it be a lateral move or a, a horizontal move. So, and then he said, there's the successful managers who they, they themselves have moved within a certain time frame up by either uh, one or two levels and, and pay grades. But the interesting thing about his finding and his study is that he said, the effective managers just don't get the recognition. <clears throat> it's mm -hmm. the successful managers who are actually, uh, his words, basically doing a whole bunch of glad handing and making sure that it's their boss that looks good. So they're mm -hmm. the ones that are getting promoted. So it, it harkens back again to this, gosh, we've been singing the same message for years and years and years, about 55, probably even longer, that, you know, 72. <laughs> I stand corrected, 72 years. Long time. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it, you know, we're not going to get anywhere as organizations if we continue to promote for the wrong reasons. Uh, as as Dr. Luthens pointed out in his article, and we're not going to get anywhere uh, without looking at it from that very situational approach of I have a hundred employees. That's a whole different. That's a whole other conversation, right? The span of control issue that we're dealing with at this point in time. But I've got ten employees. I've got twenty employees, thirty employees, etc. I have to be able to approach each and each and every one of them based on their needs, where they're at at this point in time, which gets us back to that's exactly what situational leadership is. So. Yeah. How do I coach effectively <clears throat> given yeah. a particular scenario? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it brings up this other issue what you were talking about, even um, span of control. A lot of times we've got too big a span of control, um, but also yes. about too, too many objectives, too many yeah. Yeah. Um, things that we're as managers, as leaders that we're holding people accountable for, not being clear about yeah. here's your top, two that you need to accomplish and that leaves people pretty strung out as well as yeah. a lot of people working a ton of hours so that that sometimes we will get a lot of pushback from at least my experience has been we get pushback because this takes a little longer right it takes longer to actually say ask those questions and have people think about it and ha come up with their own answers. But we know from the research and we know just from our own experience that the benefit is much greater. We know that the, the, um, the answers to their questions, that when they come up with their own answers, they think about things that we probably wouldn't have thought of as leaders. Mm -hmm. So, we get the benefit of their really good thinking. And then of course, as Trisha was saying, when we opened that this is, you know, if we're asking people to check their brain at the door, we don't have any engagement. So we don't have people that really have their heart that is actually there at work and going the extra mile. So yeah. um, anyway, just putting some things out there to think about like, how do, how do we overcome this notion of it's too, it's soft and it takes too yes. long. And Trisha, well, I can see that you're, you're like, I, I want to get in on this. I got to get no, in on this. No, no, I, did, I didn't want to forget what I was saying. I was thinking though, but I mean, you're, it's so true. I, I think about though, all the leaders who may think that it takes longer because, because they haven't done it before. 
because mm -hmm. they haven't seen the benefit of it. And if they've had no point of reference, if they've never been in a situation where they've seen that be successful, then it's, it's something that is a little bit too out there for them. You know, unless you've got, you know, we like roadmaps. We like to see something. We want proof. We want all of this. And, and we as practitioners in, you know, the organizational development field or leadership development field, we know that, um, that these things are true. There is, there is um, a lot of data and there's a lot of, um, of writing that actually supports this kind of thing. And there are so many employees of leaders who could tell you that this would make a difference for them. But leaders are, you know, if they've never done it, the confidence level is not very high. Um, the trust level is certainly not there if they've never seen it. And so how do we get them to, you know, to be open to it, have that agile mindset, that growth mindset, if you uh -huh, will, to, uh -huh. to do something that maybe they've never done before, you know, and, you know, you, you were spot on with situational leadership, Danielle. I think it's, you know, in situational leadership, there, there is one, actually two quadrants where there isn't a lot of coaching. It's You're really right. more, yeah. a little bit more directing because it has once more directing because it has to be. The other one is, is just supporting with <clears throat> recognition, right? Yeah. But there are two quadrants where there's definite a lot coaching, of coaching going on, right? Yeah. And so the opportunity for leaders to practice um, coaching in an effort to move people from one quadrant to another, and then ultimately to the, you know, to the most effective quadrant, um, then I think that they might be more open to it. So how do we get businesses to, um, to accept that kind of thing? You know, when we're talking about, I think in the article, it, it, it's really talking about this, having a learning organization. And yeah, we say that this is so important to have a good, you know, in order to have a sound learning organization, you really need to have an element like leaders. Right. Coaching. Yeah. But if we, you know, if we have a bunch of leaders uh, who are just out for themselves and their own promotion, right, you're never going to get there, regardless of things that you put into place. The other thing that comes to mind, and Crystal, I'm so glad that you brought up span of control. And Trisha and I, both having worked in hospitals, can tell you there are some nurses who have a span of control of upwards of 100 people. And there's zero way you can do anything remotely close to leading when you've got that many people. But <clears throat> to me, it all stems back to, you know, this, this place of uh, downsizing or right-sizing or whatever label organizations wanted to put around that about in the 1980s when they started to really compress the organization and take out all of those different layers. You know, you used to be an individual contributor and then you were maybe a lead and then a supervisor and then an assistant or associate manager and then a manager. And all along you were developing your own skills as you maneuvered up kind of in this minutia of the, the scale, right? <clears throat> and 
you learn different things along the way, um, including how to be uh, a, an effective manager. And now we've we've taken that all away. And so we're automatically taking in good individual contributors and putting them into a role in, in which um, they haven't learned how to do those necessary functions. And so what do they do? You rely on the skills that you know, and so you become a super individual contributor. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, now you're you're not not only are you just yourself doing the work, but you're not allowing all those other people, as Trisha said, you know, to work to the top of their capacity. And so it, it just seems like it's we're we're making it worse organizationally than making it better, no matter how many times we, we try and talk about this stuff. And and I think you nailed it when you said we don't teach leaders how to do this. And I think it's a big it's a big mess. Yeah. <clears throat> miss with an I, not a mess, although you could say mess too. <laughs> A miss and a mess. Jack Singer just did a um, a quick article in it was on LinkedIn this weekend, and it talked about how leaders um, are so into the minutia of their their folks' work that they end up being the the contributor. They yes, end up doing yeah, work. and yeah. it's like that's exactly and and I think that is one thing that if leaders could see that what it looks like from any other voc focal point, you know, that they're actually in the weeds doing all the work mm -hmm. and their folks who have the talent and the skills to do that job or to do that work are sitting on the sidelines going, when do I get to play? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When do <laughs> yeah. I get to, when do I get to come in coach? <laughs> yeah. One of the things I think that, um, that leads to that or, or helps, keep that system going in place is not being a learning organization. So when people are so afraid that a mistake is going to be made, which is mm -hmm. a learning opportunity, right? Yeah. That they, they feel like they just have to take it over because they only trust themselves to do the work. And I've seen this over and over and over, and it's very, very yes, hard to I'm, get people yeah. to actually step away and to trust what they're, their folks are doing. Uh, and that's not even to say, obviously, that if they hold all that work, that they aren't going to make a mistake. Or I don't, so it, it, the logic doesn't just doesn't hold together. So uh, any thoughts about that? It's like how, and of course that, that, that connects to innovation too, right? If we can't make any mistakes, because yeah, yeah. innovation is built on iterative learning. So yes. um, how, how do we get our managers to to step away and to allow their people to do their work and to see it as their job to help them learn from what's happening, but, and not to judge it. And that's kind of one of the things that the article is talking about is mm -hmm. how do we, it's development versus judging somebody in what they've done. Thoughts about um, steps that managers can take around that. I, I think it's bigger than what managers can do at this mm -hmm. point. I think it really has to be looked at structurally at the organizational level <clears throat> to say, to really peel back the onion and say, what barriers have we put into place? And probably not ill-intended in any way, but just that exist for whatever reason. So how do we as an organization say, this is really important to us and, and 
let's see where we put obstacles in. Uh, so I, that's why I say I think it's bigger than just any one thing that a manager can do. Although there are other things managers can do, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's really something organizations need to just tackle head on at that, you know, CEO level. So <clears throat> I think you know, that comes to mind for me. Yeah, and so I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. I was chatting with that uh, gentleman after uh, some leadership development work that I was doing last week. And he said, I'm trying really hard to be fully committed to this program, but I, my employees have so much needs right now and it's just ongoing. And that speaks to how that art, this article started. With, you know, we're just in this constant VUCA environment. Of course, VUCA is uh, volatile, uncertain, uh, chaotic and ambiguous <clears throat> for our learners who are listeners rather who haven't heard it and I said well you know that's where we're at right now as leaders and that's where you should be putting your heart and your head is into the work of supporting folks and he said it's it's a great and idea and concept but there's no way and, and he's in the trades so he said there's no way for me to code my time do, to do that mm -hmm. And it was a, a real insightful moment for me where I said, wow, this, that again is where we have an organizational problem, <clears throat> not a manager problem. We have an organization that has said, uh, and, and not for any other reason other than to say, these are the things where you have to code your time to. And nobody bothered to say, we need to put a, a leadership time code in there <laughs> so that yeah. we give people the space right. to say, I'm carving out 20 minutes. I'm going to charge 20 minutes to this bucket in, in my budget or whatever uh, to say this is important to me. So that's, again, why I say is I think it's it's bigger than what employee or managers can do. You if, know, if we take it seriously. <laughs> right, right. It's always, yeah, definitely never, never a one, one thing solution. So yeah, looking at the organizational barriers, how do we, how do we remove those for people? Well, I look uh, back at, um, Daniel was saying that back in the 80s when they they went from having multiple layers to you know kind of collapsing the layers in an organization and I have to say that that's cyclical because I've seen that um, go back and forth in my career in my excuse me my seminal career because I was even <laughs> before 1988 thank you very much but, um, <laughs> but I I would say that I've seen that um, more than a few times in some of the same organizations that I worked in. And so it's um, it's interesting that what you were saying about how when you collapse an organization, there are fewer people who um, are at different levels where they can actually practice those different levels. And that's actually true. The anchors, their behavioral anchors. Yes, um, yes. For the competencies, right? And so that made me think about what about our competencies? Because I think that you know, comp defining competencies is one thing, and we do have organizations that have done that before, and a lot of us follow some of those organizations and their their um, their definitions because they they're sound. You know, they're basic, but they're sound, and they fit for most organizations. And yet, within each organization, it's really important that behavioral anchors be set by the organization. So that way, if if we're looking at a leader that is um, a leader that is at say a, a middle level leadership, middle of level leader, senior manager, director level, something like that. Um, the behavioral anchor should be significantly different from yes. a leader at the management level. Yes. And so 
when we see that, I think a lot of, if it was well-defined and people could see what is the difference between one level and the other level, it might be a lot easier for people to um, come in and do their job and maybe even lead effectively because they would have a better, a much better defined um, behavior that attaches to the competencies they're supposed to be you know, possessing or, or at least working mm -hmm. towards, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that, that has a lot to do with um, that muddy, that muddy, murky spot, which is the, the lack of specificity in behavioral anchors. We may have thought we've gotten there, but we haven't. And I remember it took, when I worked at the, my, my first large organization, the one with a million people, um, it took years for us to actually, you know, assign behavioral anchors. And I actually touched base with the woman who worked with me on a project to do that um, just a couple of weeks ago. She's still working there. I can't even believe it. And it's been for her 45 years and she's still there, but it was quite a task. Yeah, that's you know, a significant. And it, and it, it, yeah, but it's what turned that into a learning organization. Yeah, like yeah, it could be. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think you're spot on, Trisha. It's like you know, what what do you how, how do you behave at a particular level, right? Individual contributors behave this way as you move up the chain, and rather than just applying or broad brushing, these are the competencies that we expect everyone to be doing. It really doesn't allow you any opportunity to grow. Right, but the fewer layers that you have, the harder it is to define it specifically. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So, you know, we, like, like you were saying, there used to be all of these different layers. And so you could actually attach specific behaviors to those, right? Yeah. Yep. Not so easy anymore because you have to take a, that broad brush stroke, yeah. right? Of, yeah. of here's what you have to do. And in some department, it might be really large in some department, maybe fairly small, because the leader above is doing all the work, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. sit on that one. <laughs> well, and I, I think sort of what another thing you're sort of that made me think about when you were talking was um, for for leaders that are out there that are listening, if you find yourself constantly overwhelmed and overloaded, there's a red flag, there's a clue that you're yes. probably not coaching, that you've probably taken on more of the work than you should be and that you're not allowing your people to actually shine and to um, and to, uh, to do the work that you hired them to do. So I'm gonna take us in a slightly different, um, uh, slightly different vein here, um, just for a couple of minutes because we've only got about five more minutes before we work, we go, we work to close, <laughs> yep. So um, I wanted to just introduce um, a book that Trisha and I, dear to our heart. It's called Self as Coach, Self as Leader. And so we, we'd recommend that. It's uh, by Pamela McLean, who is, um, you know, of course, uh, leading the Hudson um, coaching uh, vent venture. And one of the things that uh, they talk a lot about is the, um, the competencies that you need to, to have as a coach. And I think these you know, they bridge both the leader as coach and coaching with a capital C. And those things are presence, which is presence is how you show up uh, as a coach in the session. Empathy, feelings, being comfortable with your own feelings and, and other people's feelings. Boundaries, embodiment, 
and courage. And mm-hmm. so I haven't given Trisha and Danielle a heads up on this, but <laughs> of those presence, empathy, feelings, boundaries, embodiment, courage, if you just picked one of those, uh, cause they're all important and we don't have time to talk about all of them. If you each picked one of those to talk a little bit about as far as like, what could our listener do to help push the envelope on one of those? Could you talk a little bit about that? And Danielle, I have you go first. Uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> empathy would be the one that I would pick. And uh, I would say, you know, we've all had the opportunity to, <clears throat> or we have the opportunity to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And we do not and cannot know what they're experiencing until we do that. So step into somebody else's shoes and remember that they are a whole person that's coming into the organization and to their job every day. And so what they might be experiencing at work is just one small microcosm of what is going on in their, in their world overall. Uh, and so just remember that I think a lot of us, a lot of folks really are willing to do something to Trisha's great point. They want to be working to the top of their capacity, um, but there is something that might be getting in the way. And so approaching everything with empathy and, and taking to heart what it is folks are saying and uh, getting that feedback as a leader yourself. Great. Excellent. Thanks, Danielle. Trisha, which one would you pick? I think I'd pick boundaries. And um, because boundaries is one that I think is often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it has to do with, you know, in at least in my coaching world, it has to do with making sure that I don't enter into something that um, I can't get out of, or that I get so invested in something Mm. that I want to help you get through it. And I think often leaders do that. They'll, they'll try to help. And in trying to help, they lose sight of the fact that there's somebody else in the room who may be, you know, they're trying to coach or they're trying to talk to. And if, if I, as a coach, lose sight of that and I start, well, let me tell you what I'm hearing and here's what I think you should do. And here's where you might want to go with this. And, and I have basically completely ignored the other person and their body language or anything they may be telling me or maybe not telling me, but I can see it. Um, and just just doing my own thing. And the problem with that as a coach, as a leader, as coach, is that um, that once again is kind of undermining that whole that whole process of trying to draw a person's best self out. Mm-hmm. You know, why would they bother if the leader's doing everything for them? And if the leader is is um, entering into or getting or even getting hung up on. If somebody tells you something and you're the leader, then you may you may react to it. And once you start reacting to it, then you've kind of lost the whole point of your coaching. You know, you've now become you've now become the boss reacting again, or, mm-hmm. or you know, somebody else who's maybe not quite so on the other person's side. So I think boundaries for me is is yeah. an important piece. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely uh, important. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, all, all of these are important. I think, um, the one that I would pick, um, it's so hard to pick actually, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say courage because, you know, it's, you have to be, um, courageous, uh, and really, I think both in being willing to listen, uh, and to not 
give your best advice and to draw it out to of the other person. Um, but also courageous in um, really asking great questions so that you're challenging that person to think about things that they may not have thought about before. Um, but the other, the other one I just have to touch on is presence. So mm -hmm. presence, is, and I think uh, this is really important for, uh, for a leader as coach, presence is all about just being present with that person in front of you and yeah. trying to dump the last meeting that you just had or, you know, that the, your mind is spinning around those things that you know you have to do when this person leaves your office and all of the many things that are going on in your head and trying to just let that all go mm -hmm. so that you can be there with that person. And I know that uh, you and our listeners, um, if you've been in a situation where you've had somebody who's been fully present for you, that is the gift. That, that is the gift. It doesn't really even matter what they say or the questions they ask, <laughs> because if they can be right with you, um, it'll happen naturally. It will flow. They don't have to have, a, the leaders don't have to have a list of questions to ask. Yeah. It will yeah. happen because they're, you stay curious, you stay in the moment, um, you stay with the person and it, it, it really is such a gift. So and you're anyway. getting you're getting closer to that partner phase that we talked yes. about a few weeks ago which, with the leader making. Yep. Yeah, yeah, which requires trust and yeah, yeah. and all those things. So it's like, yeah, we're <laughs> we're bringing it all into uh, into focus here is when I think about all the things that we've talked about so far. Yeah. I mean, yep. We are talking about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great discussion as always. So um, I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? That we're, it's like, really? It's like, wow, that really went fast. <laughs> it did go fast. Um, so as we're, I love the way that we're, I hope our listeners are too. So give us feedback listeners, if you want, about how we're closing this out now. It's part of our 2021 new format is um, summarizing the takeaways from the discussion from our three different perspectives. So, um, mm -hmm. Trisha, I'm going to have you go first from, uh, from your perspective and, uh, that's impact. Yep. I think that there is, there's such an impact to be had, if you will. Um, yep. if we can, if we can get even a handful of leaders initially to start thinking about how they approach their work and the work of the people who work report to them and how they can inspire them and how they can um, enable them and engage them by just asking questions. You know, to me, the impact is so significant. You know, the difference between telling somebody what they must do and asking them, you know, how's it going and what challenges are you facing? And, you know, you know, how is that working for you? Those kinds of things are have such a huge impact, not just on that person that's hearing the questions, but on the whole organization because it, that spreads. It's another ripple effect thing. So I think that there's a um, there's a lot there's a really great um, impactful move that could be made if leaders were to to just get the courage to have some empathy and to uh, move towards questions instead of telling. Yeah, 
Yeah. So true. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Danielle, from your professor perspective. Darn it. I was going to bring my little, my little Tam and actually put my <laughs> other hat on and I forgot all about it. Okay. Well, next time I think, um, you know, for me, it, it, like I said earlier, this is not a new battle. We've kind of been fighting this for a long time of really getting leaders to understand that they have an important role in developing folks. So whether you want to call yourself a, a, a leader coach or a good developer of people, um, this is, we have to change our thinking around this. And yes, it's been this, it's that's that old model, that old approach of the top down, do as I say, it's been around for a long, long time. And we just, we need to come to terms with the fact that there is a better way uh, and, and recognize that it's, it's the humans who make the difference. And, um, and we're, we're a high touch group and uh, we're, it's just something that uh, it's just something we're going to have to get over <laughs> and realize that it, it, this is the, this is the right way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time, and we we can break the cycle uh, if we all uh, work <laughs> together to do it. So, yeah, so well said. Thanks, Danielle. And for me, key takeaways from a heart perspective is really I was thinking about when when you get the gift of having a leader as a coach and think about you as a the leader having somebody in in your office or virtually on your your zoom call um what's their energy level so when they come mm -hmm. in and then when they leave have they calmed down have they centered have they are they better able to go out into the world and have a higher level of energy to deal with the rest of their work or have, are they leaving deflated and with less energy? And I think when you, when you, and even I was thinking even for both parties. So if you're the leader, you will find, if you try this approach that you will be energized mm -hmm. by it because mm -hmm. you will see the growth yeah. and development um, in the other person. And you will see that this person is now more capable because they've solved it themselves it's not easy. It's not, it can be a little frustrating. It can take a little bit of time, but you will, you will make your, you will help your employee be more productive. You will help your employee be more engaged. You will have more innovation. Um, and I think they walk out with more energy. So yeah. that's my takeaway from the heart. I love that. And you will not notice that shift in energy if you are not fully present. Absolutely. So I agree true with that. Yeah. Yep. You've got to be tuned into what's going on. Yep. Yes, and yes. It, with that, maybe I'll add one quick, um, another takeaway is if you are going to have a coaching session with, um, with one of your direct reports, I would encourage you to try and find a quick five minutes before they come into your office to do that centering. It's super difficult to just you know, yeah. do that in your mind and say, okay, I, I got off the zoom call and 30 seconds later or simultaneously I'm on the next zoom call and I'm expecting to be present and be yeah. able to coach yeah. just doesn't happen. So even five minute break to get up, um, get yourself something to drink, have a couple of deep breaths. Um, you can afford to have five minutes to give everything and be present for your, um, for your 
your staff person. Yeah. Trisha, yeah. I can see you're wanting to jump in. No, I'm sorry. I just, I wanted to just tack onto that if I could. And just yeah, yeah. say if, if, if you are a leader out there who has ever done uh, just a one minute or two minute meditations or some kind of uh, centering where you are absolutely thinking about something different, uh, count your toes, do something that is very odd, but it absolutely takes you away from your, your present moment um, so that you can absolutely get away, divest from work for a minute. Um, it's it Getting up and getting coffee or tea or something is a great way to to do something different, but it may still be on your mind. Your work may still be, may still be problem solving your way through all the way to the coffee machine. Yeah. Um, so taking a few minutes and absolutely taking some deep breaths and, and noticing your breaths, count them, do something that causes you to have to concentrate on something other than work. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So um, to close us out in closing, I want to remind our audience to send in their questions about leadership and leading in these unprecedented times, and we'll try and answer them on air in an upcoming podcast. Send your questions to leadership and lattes. That's A-N-D, leadership A-N-D lattes at gmail.com. And if you'd like to know more about us or the show, please go to, or our guests, actually, we, um, last show, we had an amazing guest, Jack Zinger. Um, so listen to that podcast and we're hoping that our next one, um, will have a guest. So not releasing that one quite yet, but, um, <laughs> we're pretty sure. And, and we know he'll be awesome if, if we can get the commitment. Um, so you can find out more about our guests there also, uh, at the website, the So that's the pinnaclecc.com. Um, thanks to uh, Ari Chance Roberts for the technical support. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. Uh, and please share with other leaders like yourself that you think would benefit from this podcast. So thank you, Trisha and Danielle thank for co-hosting with me. <laughs> I look forward to our next podcast. It's always fun. Um, and thanks to our audience for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take care. Bye.